All right, let's get into our text this morning. If you would turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 13 will be our uh, text for the morning as we continue this uh, series through the Gospel of Mark. And I hope uh, that you would agree that what we are learning about Jesus, about his power, about his uh, grace in this study is uh, really vital. It's really essential to the well-being, to the equipping and encouragement uh, in our lives. And I believe that when we really understand the gospel of grace rightly, it is encouraging. It's not shaming. It's not behavior modification. It's really encouraging. It is equipping to our lives. It is empowering us toward transformation and life change. And we've seen the power of Jesus in his public ministry in the Gospel of Mark through the first five chapters. We've seen the power of God to bring healing into people's lives. And we've seen his grace on display to forgive people over and over and over again. So I hope that it, as we continue this, as we kind of transition really today, our passage today is a transition of location. Uh, as you know, we've been uh, in the Sea of Galilee area. Two-thirds of Jesus' ministry happened around the Sea of Galilee. And that's where everything that we've been studying over the last a couple of months has been in that area. Jesus today will leave the Sea of Galilee and he will head west on the northern part of Israel to his hometown of Nazareth. And it's interesting, when you think about Mark chapter six, most scholars, most commentators believe that our passage today, Mark chapter six, is the second visit that Jesus has made to his hometown since his public ministry began. So this is about a year or a year and a half after his first visit. And the first visit to his hometown after his public ministry began didn't go so well. The story, if you wanna read this later, is in Luke chapter four. And Jesus shows up in his hometown, very beginning of his gospel ministry. He shows up in his hometown. He goes to the synagogue. It's a Saturday. They're gathered together. Someone gives him a scroll of Isaiah and he reads the first verse of Isaiah 61 that says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, hallelujah. And he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring healing to the brokenness in our lives, hallelujah, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's Favor, And then he reads this and then he looks out to the synagogue in his hometown. And he goes, this is being fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am the Messiah. And you would think that the people of the hometown might be excited about that or maybe applaud that. But when you read Luke 4, it says they were filled with wrath. When Jesus said this is being fulfilled in your hearing, They were filled with wrath and they chased Jesus up to a precipice and they tried to throw him off the cliff. They tried to murder him. First visit to Nazareth didn't go so well, right? Rejection and they tried to throw him off a cliff. We're now, Mark 6, a year, commentators, scholars tell us, a year and a half later. And Jesus wants to go back there, back there, where he faced that rejection and them filled with wrath trying to, to murder him, I think that our passage today speaks to the compassion and the love and the forgiveness and the desire for people to come to know him. Jesus is the God of second chances, amen? And third and fourth 
and fifth, and then we could go dot, 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 et cetera, et cetera. If you want to know what grace upon grace actually looks like, Mark chapter six. Grace upon grace, it's our vision statement. We, our vision is to see people be set free by the grace upon grace of Jesus. It's John 1, 16. From the fullness of Christ, we have all received grace upon grace. What does grace upon grace look like? Mark chapter six, we're about to see. This is what it looks like. Jesus going back to Nazareth again, second time. If you'll read with me, I'm gonna read from uh, verse one to verse six as we get into our passage this morning, Mark chapter six. And Jesus, he went away from there. He went away from the Sea of Galilee region. And he came to his hometown, Nazareth. And his disciples followed him because that's what disciples do. They follow their teacher. They follow their Lord. That's what disciples do. They follow. So the disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, Saturday, he began to teach. There's one synagogue, small town. Nazareth was kind of a know-nothing town. There's one place. It was the same synagogue that he was there a year and a half before. And he went back. And many who heard him were astonished. There's a so- maybe there's a softening happening. There's a softening of faith happening in his hometown. Many who heard him were astonished. And they were saying, where did this man get these things? And what is the wisdom given to him? And how are such mighty works done by his hands. They had already received word. The stories were getting out. Nazareth is not that far away from the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's mountainous. It takes, it's gonna take a while to walk there, but it's not that far. So word had traveled. And they're asking these questions, perhaps a softening of their hearts. And then verse three, is this not the carpenter? It's like, hold up, wait a minute, press pause, don't get too excited. Isn't this the carpenter? The son of Mary? Wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. we know, we know. This is Mary's boy. This is, we know Mary, and he's the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They took offense at him. Who does he think he is coming back here to teach us again. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. Verse five, this is, this is an amazing verse to, for us to consider this morning. Verse five, and he and Jesus could do no mighty work there. He could do no mighty work there And then it says, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. (laughs) He could do no mighty work there, but he did lay his hands on a few people and he radically, miraculously, supernaturally healed them. But he could do no mighty work there. And he marveled, verse six, and Jesus marveled. What did he marvel at? He marveled because of their unbelief. I wanna unpack this with four points in our time together this morning. The first point I want to make is this. Nazareth was way too familiar with Jesus to experience some new revelation, some breakthrough, some opening in their minds and hearts to receive something new and fresh from the carpenter. 
They were way too familiar with Jesus. So they say, like, wait, wait a minute. This is, this is Mary's boy. We, we know his brothers. We know his sisters. He's blue collar. He's blue collar. I mean, the people that teach us in the synagogue are like scribes and, and teachers, and they grow up, and they're kind of the upper echelon of society, and they learn from a really young age, and they're taught. Those are the ones that we listen to. We don't listen to blue collar carpenters here. Who does he think he is? not a rabbi. How dare him come back here and teach us? There's no way someone so familiar could get all that wisdom and all that power. They think, they think they have Jesus pegged. They have him in a box. Are you with me in this? Like he's pegged, like we, we get who he is and they have him pegged and he's in a box. And when we come, when we become too familiar, we think we have nothing new to learn. When we become too familiar, there's no room for anything new. And so I think before we think maybe too harshly this morning about the people of Nazareth and how they responded in this story to Jesus, perhaps we should consider how our own familiarity can get in the way of us experiencing something new and fresh breakthrough, new revelation, transforming things that literally change our lives and move us further into the gospel? How could our own familiarity be limiting our understanding of Jesus's presence and power? And I think we, when we put God in a box, I think we should beware. When we think that we have Jesus all pegged and figured out, uh, I, think, I think we should consider humbling ourselves because there is more, church. I don't care how long you've been studying the Bible. I don't care how long you've been following Jesus. I don't care how many degrees that you might have. There is more for you and me and us. There is more for us. James said it this way, the brother of Jesus. He said, Jesus gives more grace. He's writing to believers. He's writing to us. There's more for you. Jesus gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you wanna see pride on display, Mark chapter six, Nazareth. This is the carpenter. They were offended at him. It was C.S. Lewis who coined the phrase, let us go higher up and further in, amen? Let us grow. Let us go higher up and further in. Let us humble ourselves and open ourselves up to more. There is more grace for you. And there was more grace for Nazareth, but they were all too familiar with Jesus to give him room to impact their lives. Their unbelief, point two, their unbelief closed the door to the mighty works of God when the God of glory was right in their midst. Last week, if you were here with us, we finished up um, Luke, not Luke, um, Mark chapter five. And it was a story of Jesus raising the synagogue ruler in Capernaum. His daughter was at the point of death and he raised her from the dead and he healed the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and she touched his cloak and she was radically, miraculously Healed Both of those stories, Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and the woman that was suffering, they were operating and activating their faith in Jesus. And what they got was this miraculous, miraculous breakthrough. 
And so one of the points that I made last week, one of the summary points from the stories last week, is that faith in God, faith in Jesus, somehow, some way, we open the door for the power of God to move in our lives when we operate in faith, when we believe. I think this is why when Jesus got to Jairus' house, and all those people were grieving, if you remember. And he showed up and he's like, why are you all grieving and wailing? She's not dead. She's only asleep. Do you remember what they did when he said that? They mocked him. They laughed at him. And he goes, get out. Everybody get out of here. Because somehow, some way, our faith partners with the, with the presence of God and the power of God to open the door for mighty works of God. And so Jesus removed all of the unbelief out of the environment. It was him, it was the mother, it was the father, it was Peter, James, and John. Somehow, some way, our faith opens the door to the power of God in our lives. And somehow, some way, unbelief also closes the door. He could do, verse five, he could do no mighty work there. Now this is not, we need to check our theology. Let's press pause here for a second. This is not teaching us that God's power is limited. Jesus is sovereign in glory and power, hallelujah. Paul tells us in Colossians 1, let's be reminded of the sovereign power of Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the sovereign Lord of glory. So what does it mean then? that he could do no mighty work there. We saw a mighty work in Jairus' daughter. We saw a mighty work in the suffering woman. Be reminded, they came to Jesus in faith. They came to him. They were seeking him out. Jesus didn't force himself upon them. They came to him. I think that's really important. It even says in our passage, he said that he laid his hands on a few, on a few sick people. A few people in Nazareth did bring their sick to him and he laid his hands on them and they were healed. So there was power happening in Nazareth with the few people that were operating in faith. Are you with me right now? But the majority, most of the people there rejected him. And when you reject him, you're not bringing anyone to him. And so he could do no mighty work there. Their cynicism prevented most from coming to him for ministry. Doubt is something that we are seeking to normalize in our journey as Jesus followers. It's a reality in all of our lives. When hardship comes, when suffering comes, doubt is something that all of us, most of us, wrestle with at one time or another. But doubt is different than unbelief. Doubt is struggling to believe. I'm hurting and I'm struggling to hold on to my faith. I'm doing it, but I'm bringing people around me to help me, but I'm really in a season of doubt. But I'm wrestling and I'm, I'm having a hard time. I'm having trouble believing. Unbelief is an outright refusal to believe. That's what unbelief is. So that's what I'm saying. Unbelief closes the door to the mighty works of God. And it is remarkable, it is humbling, it is awesome, church, that God invites us to participate with him in mighty works 
of power, supernatural, miraculous things. Be reminded of what James said in the next chapter, James 5. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We participate with God. Faith opens the door. It's a mystery. I don't pretend to understand how it all works. It opens the door, but unbelief closes the door to mighty works of God. Know this, hear this clearly. Jesus is sovereign. He is in authority. He is the Lord of glory. He is powerful. But for freedom, for freedom and love to be present in an environment, in an atmosphere, in a place, there has to be a choice to believe and receive or to reject and to walk away. Jesus, I don't, I don't believe. Jesus, see this? We saw this in uh, the region of the Gerasenes in Mark chapter five when Jesus healed legion and all the demons went into the pigs and they went off the side and he was in his right mind and all the people came. You remember the story? And they were afraid and they begged Jesus to leave their region. What did Jesus do? He left. Jesus doesn't, grace doesn't force itself on anyone. He left. And then the man that was healed wanted to go with him. And Jesus said, no, 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 you're, you're my ambassador. You, you, I'm leaving, but you go back to your country and you tell everybody what I've done for you. Jesus doesn't force himself on an unbelieving, unwelcoming environment. It's not the way of grace. The way of grace is this. Jesus is an invitational to everyone. Amen? But grace doesn't force itself on anyone. Jesus is not a tyrant. He could do no mighty work there, not because he isn't powerful. He is the sovereign Lord. He is omnipotent. He could do no mighty work there, not because he isn't powerful, but because he is love. Jesus does not demand their belief and force their belief. He is invitational, but he does not force himself. Their unbelief closes the door to the mighty. A few people were healed, but the majority were not because their skepticism, they didn't bring anyone to Jesus and he could do no mighty work there. Point three, and Jesus marveled at their unbelief. Uh, sometimes when you are only seeking to bless and to help and to serve, guess what? It blows up in your face. Anybody ever really truly had an authentic, genuine desire and love to serve and bless and give of your time and give of your talent and give of your money and you do and the person that you're ministering to, loving, serving, blessing, they reject it and it blows up on your face. Maybe that hasn't happened to anyone in here. It certainly has happened to me, but I think there's a few of us in here. Most of you have probably seen the movie, The Incredibles, Right Hand Turn. Our family loves these movies. I don't know if you know this, but my wife is Elastigirl. <laughs> she is a superhero. She's right here. Her name is Lindsay. She is the mother of five children. She is married to me. That's superheroic all by itself. Just know that. Uh, she is pastoring this church with me. She carries more than 
any of you know or understand, she is Elastigirl. It is remarkable to me. I love the Incredibles. We have a video of Jackson when he was five. He's 19 now. He's a freshman at Grand Canyon University. And that movie came out when he was five. So this, so Incredibles, by the way, it's dating all of us in the room right now. It's about 15 years old. Make you feel old? Yes, me too. But we have this video of Jackson and he was Dash. And it's this video of him running down the sidewalk and he's just, just getting his hands like this because he is Dash. He is Dash. We love the Incredibles. Do you remember in the first movie, there's a scene where this guy jumps out of a building to end his life. And Mr. Incredible saves his life. Do you remember? And what does the guy do to Mr. Incredible? He sues him. My whole heart is to love, serve, save your life. Blows up in his face. Mark chapter 6. You see that connection? Pastoral transition. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Jesus goes back to Nazareth again, you guys. After they tried to murder him, he goes back again to help them, to serve them, to teach them, to save them, but rejection again. And Jesus marveled at their unbelief. There's two places in the Gospels that talks about Jesus marveling at faith. One is in Mark 6, and Jesus is marveling at the unbelief of his Jewish people who grew up waiting, anticipating, trusting, believing in a Messiah to come to save Israel. And he marveled at their unbelief. The other place is in Matthew chapter 8, and there's an interaction with Jesus with a Roman centurion, not someone who grew up Jewish anticipating a Messiah, but a Roman centurion, a Gentile, a non-believer. And this Roman centurion had a servant that was sick and he came to Jesus and he said, will you go with me to bring healing to my servant? And Jesus like, let's go, let's go. And he goes, you know what? I know what it means to be an authority. So if you just say the word right here, right now, I believe that my servant will be healed. You know the story? Remember the story? And this is how Jesus responds to it in Matthew 8. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled, marveled, and said to those who follow him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Faith somehow, someway opens the door to the power of God. And unbelief somehow, someway closes the door to the mighty works of God. I know what some of you might be thinking about right now. And you're thinking, I just gotta have more faith. I gotta like, I gotta muster up some fresh faith in my life. You know, because if faith opens the door and a lack of faith closes the door, then I gotta work harder at getting more faith. And before you get too far down that road, let me just say one thing to you. Stop, stop right there. Stop right there and listen to what I wanna say. We talked about this last week. And I wanna make sure the point is clear again today. It's not about the amount of your faith, church. It's not about the performance of your faith. It's not going and working yourself up to have more faith. That's not what this is about. We are not moving God closer to our circumstances if we feel like we're, our faith is performing well and then God removes himself from our lives if we feel like our faith is struggling or we're hanging on by a thread. That's a performance 
works-based, law-based way of thinking, and that is not the gospel of grace. This is not what, it, this is not what it's about. It's not about the performance of your faith. You don't have to beg God. You hear that sometimes. It's like, I've been praying hard. I've been begging God. I just wanna go, stop, just pray. Just pray. Just believe faith. Wherever it is on the spectrum, it doesn't matter. Just faith, because here's what it is. It's faith in Jesus, period. Activating faith in Jesus, period. What matters is not the amount of faith, but that Jesus is the object of your faith. What did Jesus say about the mustard seed? It can move a mountain, right? And so it's just, it's the object of our faith uh, that really matters here. But Jesus, they, they rejected. He showed up again, so gracious, so compassionate, so loving. They reject him again. Many, most reject him again. It says in verse six, Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. But this rejection did not thwart, it did not stop, it did not cripple his mission. I didn't read all of verse six when we read it a few minutes ago. The end of verse six says, then Jesus went about among the villages teaching. So he marveled at the unbelief of the people in Nazareth and then right after that, okay, let's go. Guys, let's go. We're gonna go teach and we're gonna go proclaim the forgiveness of sins and we're gonna go lay hands on the sick. We're gonna pray for healing. We're gonna cast out demons and other places. Let's get going because rejection is not the end of the world. I'm speaking to all the missionaries in the room. By the way, that's everybody that believes and follows Jesus. You are a minister. You are a missionary. You are an ambassador. You are a witness. We're, we're sowing seeds in the gospel, rejection is part of the journey. But don't let rejection cripple the mission that God has called us on. Last point, point four. Rejection didn't stop the mission. Failure is common to the experience of anyone who sows the seeds of the gospel. God has just simply called us to testify, to share, to proclaim the results of that. That's all up to God. What, what, if people believe or reject, not up to us, not up to us. We don't have authority. We don't have that power. We operate in the authority of God with his power, but it's really, it, he, he is the one that does the work. And so because grace isn't a tyrant, people have the choice to believe or to reject. And that's what we saw in Nazareth. They rejected. And so Jesus moved on to other uh, villages. And this experience that they saw, the experience that the disciples saw of Jesus's ministry would really serve them well. It would be equipping to them in their own ministry that's happening in the very next passage. So starting in verse seven, we'll finish up uh, through 13. And Jesus called the 12 and he began to send them out two by two. Why two by two? Because it's better together. Team-based ministry. Two are better than one for if one falls, the other is there to Lift him up. We, we operate in team. There's no lone rangers in gospel ministry. We operate, we're together, the church family. We've been saved together in Christ. Ephesians chapter two, he sends them out two by two and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. 
No, in other words, no fanny packs with money in it to buy your bread in the places that I'm going to. Thank you. Thank you, Shane. I got better laughter from the first service and they're at 8.30 service. Come on, you guys. Oh, okay. But to wear sandals, at least they, get, they got to wear shoes. They got to wear shoes at least. And to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. They could have one tunic. It's just basically one pair of clothes. That's what you get. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Which is okay. Stay there until you depart. Got it. Clear. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust that is on your feet as a testimony to them. It's like a, it's a Jesus dance. It's like shake a little dust and move right along. Right? Okay, that's better. That's better. I'm not that funny. I get that. I get that. I get that. It's not a problem for me. Not a problem for me. Um, so they went out. So they did. So they went. So the disciples, they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent that they would change their mind, that they would receive Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. They proclaimed the gospel. And they cast out many demons, and they anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Jesus sent them out two by two. Jesus wasn't there laying his hands on and praying. Who was there laying hands on and praying? The disciples. They had the authority of Jesus. They were operating in the authority. They were ministering to people. And guess what? People got healed. People got healed. They were faithful and obedient to what Jesus had called them to do. And they experienced miraculous ministry. I think this is really equipping and helpful to those of us who love Jesus, follow Jesus, and serve on the mission of Jesus. You will face rejection. Not everyone comes and believes. Not everyone comes and believes, but grace empowers us to keep at it, to keep moving, to keep loving, keep serving, keep blessing, keep inviting. Some will receive, some will not. Let's keep ministering the gospel. Verse seven, it says that Jesus gave them his authority. We have the authority of God in our mission, not authority in ourselves. The disciples then and us today, we don't have authority in and of ourselves. We don't have any power that's unique to us in any way. Certainly, God, by his grace, gives people in his church gifts by grace to help equip and strengthen and empower the body of Christ that's true, but everybody that's operating as missionaries has the authority of Jesus when they go and minister, no matter what your grace gift is. It's his authority to do what? To proclaim the good news and to have authority over the demonic powers. And I think what's important to see in this, why did Jesus only let them take one change of clothes and a staff and sandals, no food and no money for food? And I think it's because of this. He, he was giving them his authority, and so they had to trust in his authority. They also had to trust in his provision. How would they be provided for? 
Well, the same way that the Lord has provided for me and Lindsay and our family over and over and over and over again. Some people were gonna reject the message. And Jesus said, when that happens, shake your feet as a testimony against them. But some people were gonna receive the message. And when people get liberated by the gospel of grace, they are grateful, they are thankful. And a reality in our lives is when we operate in gratitude, we grow in gratitude, guess what else grows? Generosity. Who was gonna put food in their bellies? The people that were hosting them that were receiving the message. Who was gonna provide for their needs? The people. So we trust in the authority of God, but we also trust in the provision of God. And so they did, and what did they do with this authority and this provision? They cast out many demons. Think about the word many there in contrast to what happened in Nazareth. A few people A few people in Nazareth, they go, and it's many, many demons, and anointed with oil, again in the text, many who were sick, and they healed them. When Jesus was in the Last Supper uh, discourse, John 13 to 16, right before he would go to the cross on Friday, he made this statement, this remarkable statement to the disciples in John 14, 12, and he said, you will do greater things than me. You're like, what? What is that? Well, the Holy Spirit was about to be poured out on them and they were about to go to all the world and they were gonna do greater things than him. Well, it's also here in Mark 6, even before Jesus went to the cross, like they were doing greater things. There were many and in Nazareth, there were a few. They cast out demons. It's miraculous, really. They healed the sick. It's miraculous. Jesus' followers participating in the miraculous movement of God. And we get to participate in it as well. Because when we operate in faith, when we believe under the authority of Jesus, trusting in the provision of Jesus, and operating in faith and obedience in the mission of God, here's what I have seen happen over 20 years of pastoral ministry, loved people, loved people to Jesus. Loved people of Jesus, loved people to Jesus. People that have been freed, they, they, were, they were in bondage. They were in bondage to pain, they were in bondage to addiction, they were in bondage to religion, they were in bondage to guilt, they were in bondage to shame, they were in bondage to fear, and God liberates them, gives them freedom. They've been truly liberated. People that have been freed by Jesus. Guess, do you know what they're so passionate about? Let's go free some people. Let's go, let's go free some people. Healed people. People that have been healed, certainly physically healed, but healing is way bigger than just physical healing. We talked about this a lot last week. It's relational healing. It's emotional healing. It's spiritual healing in our lives. And people that have been healed by Jesus, they go heal people. We saw it right in our text today. The disciples go out two by two, and they anointed people with oil. And guess what happened? People got healed. Healed people heal people. Changed lives. They go change lives. So be encouraged today by the gospel. Be encouraged, be empowered, be equipped today, church. Believe, believe, and open your life up to more belief. There's more grace. God gives grace 
to the humble. There's more grace for us. Have your authority in Jesus. Trust in the provision of Jesus, church, and go. You have been blessed to be a blessing. Again, to finish, let me just say this one more time. The gospel invitation calls everyone and invites everyone, but it doesn't force itself on anyone. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for helping us see and understand and get clarity on what grace upon grace looks like. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to be reminded that the way of grace is so radically invitational and inclusive. And that the freedom of the gospel means that people, people can respond and believe and be saved and transformed and people can also walk away because you are the God of love and freedom. And so I just pray, Lord, that faith would arise here, that we would have faith to believe and that we would continue to activate our faith for our lives and the lives of people that you have called us to minister to in our spheres of influence, in our workplaces, in our families, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our state, in our world. And we bless your name as we continue to worship you this morning in Jesus' name, amen.